0: Hello, and welcome to the What The Heck podcast. I'm your host, Glenn. Every week, I explore something unexplained, talk about what it is, and look at what else it could possibly be. Research is done as academically as possible, and references will be given after the stories. This week, I'm looking at an epidemic that swept the world in the early 1900s, the sleeping sickness. It's important to note that there is actually something called the sleeping sickness that's transmitted by a specific type of fly in Africa, but it isn't that sickness. It's difficult to pinpoint the beginning of this epidemic really. It happened at almost the same time as the Spanish flu pandemic, maybe as early as 1916. It continued well into the 1920s though. The Spanish flu killed about 50 million people across the world. At the same time, an epidemic swept across the planet. Because Spanish flu was such a big thing, the smaller epidemic was largely forgotten. It killed over a million people, though, and left many others stuck in bodies that just wouldn't respond. Although most of the cases were reported after the end of World War I, some believe that the epidemic first began in 1915 or 16. Soldiers who had been examined in Paris showed symptoms of lethargy and confusion. To begin with, Doctors assumed it was a symptom of mustard gas, but that proved to be incorrect. The symptoms soon began to spread to civilians. and A neurologist named Konstantin von Economo wrote a paper called Deencephalitis Lethargica, detailing what soon became known as Lethargic Encephalitis or von Economo disease. In his paper, he states... We are dealing with a kind of sleeping sickness having an unusually prolonged course the first symptoms are usually acute with headaches and malaise then a state of somnolence appears often associated with active delirium from which the patient can be awakened easily he is able to give appropriate answers and to comprehend the situation this delirious somnolence can lead to death ...rapidly or over the course of a few weeks. On the other hand, it can persist unchanged for weeks or even months... ...with periods lasting bouts of days or even longer. A fluctuation of the depth of unconsciousness... ...extending from simple sleepiness to deepest stupor or coma. What Von Economo is saying is that it begins with headaches and weakness and evolves into a sleepy kind of delirium, which can either lead to death or a state of unconsciousness that can vary in depth. Years after the paper was published, the epidemic truly began. It affected everyone, but young people, and especially women, were the most vulnerable to the mysterious disease. What the excerpt from the paper didn't say was how quickly this illness progressed. The headaches and weakness, sometimes accompanied by a sore throat and fever, developed into tremors, muscle pain, strange bodily movements, and a delayed mental response within hours. There seemed to be a rapid change after that, regardless of any medical attention. That's where the delirium comes in. It was hallucinations and psychosis. That then caused death or a comatose state. Among those that survived the sickness, many remained in a comatose state indefinitely and some only remained that way for several months or years. Rarely would a person fully recover. This recovery wasn't perfect either. It came with side effects like vision problems, difficulty swallowing, personality changes and even permanent psychosis. The most common side effect from recovery was called postcephalitic Parkinson's disease. It caused lifelong symptoms such as slowness, tremors, speech problems and abnormal muscle movement. In other cases of recovery, people retained hearing, intelligence and reasoning but were left catatonic and unable to respond to any stimuli post Post-cephalitic Parkinson's could take up to a year to appear in recovered patients, so they may have recovered fully, only to devolve into a catatonic state later on. Ten years after the epidemic appeared, it just disappeared. No new cases came through, although the older cases remained, with many people housed in institutions for years, trapped inside their unresponsive bodies. In 1969, over 40 years later, a new drug was developed to treat Parkinson's. Levodopa was administered to the victims of the sleeping sickness, and many of them reacted almost immediately, finding themselves able to move again, or even becoming conscious and responsive, finally aware of their surroundings again. Unfortunately, the respite was short-lived. Most of the newly recovered patients fell back into catatonia within days or weeks. Doctors administered more levodopa, but the victims seemed to be completely unresponsive. Dr. Oliver Sacks included the experience in his memoirs. And in 1990, a movie was released called Awakenings. Since the 1920s, reports of lethargic encephalitis have been rare. In 1993, however, a 23-year-old woman was hospitalized. Her symptoms included fever, tremors, hallucinations, and strange arm movements. The doctors gave her an MRI and discovered that her brain was severely inflamed. The cause was put down to the sleeping sickness. Between the first reports in 1915 and 1993, the cause of the sickness hadn't been determined. Enter virologist Professor John Oxford. Oxford took the brain samples from the original epidemic and re-examined them. Even using advanced molecular probes, he couldn't find evidence of any viruses in the brain tissue. Luckily, The woman who had been suffering from the sickness began to recover. Doctors Russell Dale and Andrew Church began to investigate the disease too. Through contacts in the medical industry, they found that there were 20 other patients with symptoms of lethargic encephalitis. They analysed those patients and found a single common symptom. Each patient complained of a sore throat before they were struck with more severe symptoms. Thanks to Oxford's research, Dale and Church were able to delve deeper into the causes of the strange sickness. Dale and Church narrowed down the complaints of a sore throat to Diplococcus. Diplococcus is a bacteria known to cause sore throats. The problem with that is that there's not enough evidence to explain why it affects some people in such a way. However, The research does suggest that it's the body's overreaction to the bacteria that causes the issues. It seems that the extreme immune response triggers a new response from the immune system, causing it to attack the nerve cells in the brain and causing significant damage. More research has been done, and anti brain antibodies are actually present in those with the condition. Some attribute the illness as a type of myalgic encephalomyelitis, otherwise known as chronic fatigue syndrome. There was an outbreak of this in 1984 in Incline Village, a small village on the northern shore of Lake Tahoe, Nevada. This outbreak had 160 victims, but these victims were never catatonic or comatose, just very fatigued, plagued by cold-like symptoms. It's unlikely that the two are related. Neurology Live revisited the epidemic with newer evidence in recent years. There, they outlined a modern case of someone showing possible symptoms of the sickness. The patient responded to steroids and immunoglobulins, which suggested that there was an autoimmune component to the sickness. MRI scans showed that the substantia nigra, a very small part on the bottom of the brain, showed evidence that there was a disease. This evidence was consistent with other modern patients, but not like what would be expected from scans of the original victims of the sickness. The article also suggested that it could be a microbial agent or neurotoxic pollutant as well, but offers no evidence for that. Leslie Hoffman and Joel Velensky wrote about lethargic encephalitis in the Brain Journal in 2017, a hundred years after the sickness was classified as its own entity. They say that, although classified in 1917, there have been several epidemics identified over the years, including the English sweats in 1529, Malmazuko in Italy, 1957. Kriebel-Krankenheit in Germany, 1672 to 1675, Rafania in Sweden, 1754 to 1757, and Nona in Italy, 1890 to 1891. They also suggest that the epidemic began in Romania in 1916, rather than Vienna in 1917, and that was facilitated by the movement of troops during World War I. During their article, they outline three potential causes, environmental, infectious, and autoimmune. They delve into Von Economo's research and outline that toxicological or environmental causes had been ruled out due to a lack of gastrointestinal disturbances. Infectious causes were ruled out disease by disease. This article is the only place that mentions the fact that some households only had a single victim, ruling out any kind of mass contagion. They even ruled out the Spanish flu pandemic because there were certain differences in the way that the two diseases affected the brain. However, the paper concludes that, even with their meta-analysis of other research papers, it's impossible to tell what the cause is or how it spreads. Lethargic encephalitis is one of the largest mysteries in the medical field and remains so even after 100 years of medical advancements and research. Without a medical doctorate, I'm simply unqualified to fully explore this one. We're closer to finding out all of its secrets now, but there are just too many unknowns in this one, so it remains unsolved today. Today's story was found in a BuzzFeed article about the world's greatest unsolved mysteries. An article from Vintage News called The Forgotten Sleepy Sickness and an article from Damn Interesting called The Sleepy Sickness. The theories came from the comments section of the Vintage News article, an article from Neurology Live and an article from The Brain magazine. References for the episode and links to studies will be posted on social media for you to have a look at. Speaking of social media, you can currently find me on Facebook at What's the Heck Mystery Podcast, Instagram at wtheckpodcast, and you can also support me on Patreon at patreoncom forward Podcast. Currently, there are no tiers to the Patreon, but once the ball starts rolling, there will be tiers with extra special things for you. I've also set up an email address, watchtheheckpod3 at gmail.com. I'd like you to send in your stories of the unexplained so I can read them out in secondary episodes. But if you have any issues with my phrasing or think some of the things that I've said are insensitive, please don't be afraid to let me know and I'll address them in episodes as I record them. (laughs)